Please pray with me. A holy Father, almighty creator, and sustainer of all things, I praise you for the beauty of your saving grace and sanctifying power. I thank you for this lesson. It not only calls us to respond to you by walking in a manner worthy of your calling on our lives, but also shows us all the ways that you equip us for that walk and you grow us in that walk. Holy Spirit, open our heart eyes to understand the amazing doctrine of union with Christ. Fill me, your servant, with all your fullness to speak your truth in love and with accuracy. This I pray in the precious name above all names, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Did you know that you have a finite number of heartbeats? Have you ever thought about that? It's true. God has numbered every one of your heartbeats before one of them ever came to be, before you were ever born. Every day, the average human heart beats or it expands and contracts 100,000 times and it pumps about 2,000 gallons of blood. By the time you are 30 years old, your heart has beat over a billion times. The question is, what are you doing with your allotted number of heartbeats? Are you making an impact for the kingdom of God? Are you making an impact for the God who so carefully and lovingly knit you together? We are given an amazing example of how to make an impact through the Apostle Paul. He boldly served God and he loved people deeply. His life had a powerful effect on people because he lived for God by the power of the Holy Spirit. He lived with the urgency of a man who knew that his days were numbered. He couldn't tell enough people enough information fast enough. He made an impact on all he encountered. His legacy endures today all because he had been impacted and transformed by the love of Christ. He remained steadfastly determined to walk in a manner worthy of God's calling on his life until his number of heartbeats expired. Can you and I say the same? In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul urges God's people to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they had been called. This exhortation applies to those called by God to be his treasured possession. Those whose worth, merit, or value is found in their union with Christ. Because of who you are as a believer, and because of whose you are as a believer, you are called to walk differently, to walk worthy of your calling. How worthy is your Christian walk? Is it worthy of the number of heartbeats God has so graciously given you? 
In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, we learn that a worthy walk requires union with Christ. The truth that uh, we'll examine is that a worthy walk requires union with Christ. We'll look at that in three divisions. Goal of a worthy walk, gifted for a worthy walk, and grown by a worthy walk. So our first division is goal of a worthy walk, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Verse 1, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now Paul opens this section of his letter by identifying himself as a prisoner for the Lord. Having been transformed by the power of the gospel, Paul was all in for Christ. Every heartbeat committed to him. So he urges us to do the same. The word walk refers to um, how we conduct our lives. And Paul exhorts the Ephesian Christians to conduct their lives in keeping with the gospel truth that saved them and is sanctifying them. Now, some Christians walk one way on Sundays And they walk another way for the rest of the week. This is not a worthy walk. A worthy walk does not divide the sacred parts of life with the secular parts of life. Jesus Christ must be Lord of everything at all times. As believers, we are united with Christ. We must walk like it. Back in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, we were, we were told that this is a calling of grace. Paul says God called us to himself by grace. Then he blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Now, he says, walk. Walk, Christian. Walk a walk that is worthy of his calling. What does that look like? It looks like Christ, little anointed ones. Therefore, it requires union with Christ. Theologian Louis Burkhoff defines union with Christ as that intimate, vital, and spiritual union between Christ and his people, in virtue of which he is the source of their life and strength and of their blessedness and salvation. In verse 2, Paul gives us a short, digestible list of character traits that are true of Christ and must be true of us. He says, we walk a worthy walk with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So did you hear them? Humility, gentleness, patience, and love. All of these traits should mark the worthy walk of a Christian. First, humility. Now, this is essential to the Christian faith. The opposite of humility is pride or being filled with self, self-centered, self-focused, self-exalting. Believers must die to self and be humble. They must be filled with all the fullness of God, not the fullness of self. Unity in the body of Christ is impossible without humility. The second trait is gentleness or meekness. 
Commentator Charles Mitten says that this is the spirit of one who is so absorbed in seeking some worthy goal for the common good that he refuses to be deflected from it. I think that certainly sounds like Jesus. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 29, Jesus invites his burdened beloved ones to come to him, for he is gentle and humble in heart. This gentleness is not weakness or timidity. It is Holy Spirit power under his control. Gentleness must mark how we care for one another in the body of Christ. The third trait is patience. Now, this is a trait that is sorely lacking in our culture today. So many people walk around believing that the entire world revolves around them. They have no patience for anyone else. Commentator Tony Meredith says that lack of patience displays a lack of humility and a lack of love. To have patient love, we must endure annoyances and challenges over a period of time. How do you cultivate patience? By relying on the Spirit and by meditating on the patience that Christ has shown you. The fourth Christ-like trait that marks a worthy walk is love. Bearing with one another in love. Now God gives us lots and lots of practice with this one. Within the body of Christ, there are people who are hard to love, difficult, defensive, withdrawn. There are people who have been hurt, marginalized, or rejected by the world. The church is filled with sinners, redeemed sinners, but sinners all the same. God calls us to bear with one another with a love that covers a multitude of sins. Loving others with this kind of love requires union with Christ. We need his love in us to love one another well. In verse 3, Paul urges his readers to eagerly maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This requires diligence as well as union with the one who is the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. God does the hard work of uniting a diverse people into one body, but he calls us to do the hard work of maintaining that unity. He gives us his Holy Spirit to help us do so. In verses 4 through 6, Paul emphasizes the unity that is the fruit of the gospel with seven one statements. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. As the universal church, that's the church with a capital C, we are one body. No matter how diverse our personalities, cultures, and backgrounds, we are united by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are given one spirit, God the Holy Spirit. He comes to live in every believer the moment they receive Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior by grace through faith. 
We all share one hope in Christ. Back in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, it says that we were once without hope. But now we have been given an incredible hope, the ultimate hope. How can we not walk in a manner worthy of the hope that we have been given in Christ Jesus? He is the next one statement. We have one Lord, Jesus Christ. To walk a worthy walk, he must reign and rule over us as Lord of our every heartbeat. We have one faith. This refers to the essential truths of the Christian faith revealed in God's word. We have one baptism. That means that we have died with Christ and have been raised to new life, a new life that is united to him. Our water baptism is an outward sign of this inward reality, the inward reality of our union with Christ. Philip Graham Ryken says that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are personally joined to him and to everything he has ever done for our salvation. Christ is in the Christian, and Christian, the Christian is in Christ. The last one statement says that we all have one God and Father. He's the one who we've learned has called us and adopted us as his own children. We are family, God's family. And Paul says that our Father in heaven is over all, through all, and in all. He is sovereign. He is all-powerful. And he calls believers to walk in a manner worthy of being his children. But how can we do that when we are all so different, so diverse in our way of living and thinking? Well, we can only do it as we walk in union with Christ. He unites every believer together as one body, and he helps us maintain that unity within the diverse body of Christ. So our first truth is that a worthy walk requires union with Christ to maintain unity in the diverse body of Christ. In what ways are you, or could you, be a part of a vibrant growing, and unified fellowship of believers? How does your eagerness to maintain unity in the body of Christ manifest itself? Or of what divisive behavior do you need to repent to more eagerly foster unity in your church family? Child of God, your father has it bound you together with his beloved son, Jesus Christ. You are united with him to use your every heartbeat to walk in newness of life, a Christ-like life marked by oneness within the body of Christ. When diversity of thought or actions threaten division, Deliberately foster unity. Remember what unites you as one body. Together you have one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father. The beauty of your union with Christ helps you maintain unity in the diverse body of Christ. And the bounty 
of your union with Christ is found in how he has gifted you for a worthy walk. That is what we'll see in our next division. We are gifted for a worthy walk. That's in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Now, while we are one in union with Christ, we also remain very different. There are no cookie-cutter, all-the-same Christians. We don't look like that. There's a whole lot of diversity. In verse 7, Paul points out one vital difference. He says, we have different gifts. He says, but grace was given to each one according to the measure of Christ's gift. Christ gives gifts of grace to every believer in the measure or proportion he deems best, not for you, but for his church. He builds the body of Christ using the varied gifts that he gives to people with diverse backgrounds, personalities, talents, abilities, and experiences. Then he calls them to come together and use those gifts to strengthen and grow the church. We walk worthy of God's calling on our lives when we use his gifts for his kingdom purposes. Now, it is important as well as comforting to underscore that no one person is given all the gifts needed to accomplish this daunting task. Instead, the Holy Spirit gives us complementary or interdependent gifts. So when we come together under Christ's lordship, these gifts, they harmonize. But when we fail to use these gifts under the Lord's uh, uh, under Christ's lordships, our differences distract us, divide us, and quite frankly, can cause us to get on each other's nerves. We should instead value our differences, trusting that Christ's gifts are given according to his sovereign authority. In verses 8 through 10, Paul speaks of this sovereign authority. In verse 8, he quotes Psalm 68, which is a victory hymn when he says, Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. When ancient kings would emerge victorious in a battle, they brought back spoils of war and they gave them to their people, especially those who had supported them. In the same way, Jesus Christ emerged victorious from the grave three days after he died on the cross. He triumphed over sin and death. Brian Chappell explains, he says, In his death, resurrection, and ascension, Christ imprisoned the power of sin over us. Our bondage to Satan's sin and death is itself made captive to the power of Christ so that it no longer has a hold on us. Rather, God's chosen people have been captivated by Christ's love and are pictured as trailing in his victory parade as he ascends to heaven. The gifts he dispenses to us reflect the most essential and precious aspects of our Savior's being. They are Christ's sharing of himself. 
The gifts given to the body of Christ are the extension of Christ's very heart and being to his people. He is offering himself in all the manifold riches of his glory in the various ways he is gifting his church. Believer, do you understand what that means? It means that you and I are gifted for a worthy Christian walk with the ultimate gift, Christ himself. Paul explains how this is possible in a little parenthetical statement in verses 9 through 10. He says, in saying he ascended, what does it mean that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. So Jesus ascended. He ascended as the resurrected Lord. The Apostle Luke records this spectacular event in his gospel account as well as in the book of Acts. His ascension was a literal bodily return to heaven. Many witnesses watched as he rose from the ground and rode up to heaven on a cloud. His ascension, Paul reasons, necessarily means that he descended. This refers to his incarnation. Jesus descended from heaven and came to earth as a baby born of a virgin. After laying his life down as the perfect sacrifice for our sins, he ascended as the triumphant conquering king far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Clearly, King Jesus has all the power, all the authority, and all dominion over heaven and earth. Therefore, we can trust that he dispenses his gifts to whomever he wishes in the proportion he wishes. He does so with perfect wisdom to perfectly equip his bride, the church. Jesus is the perfect equipper. Paul marvels at his generosity in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, saying, And my God will liberally supply, fill until full, your every need, according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You see, my friends, because Jesus is our equipper, we have no lack. Therefore, we have no excuse In our union with Christ, you and I are gifted for a worthy walk, one that serves the living God in the exact place of his calling. In verses 11 through 12, he says that he has given us even more help with the gift of his appointed leaders. It says, and he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, in the strictest sense, we no longer have biblical apostles or prophets. But generally, an apostle refers to a sent one, one sent by God, and a prophet refers to one who speaks forth and applies God's word to God's people. Evangelists are those gifted at proclaiming the gospel. Now, everyone is called to evangelize. 
You don't get to check that off. Oh, I'm not gifted at that. I'm not sharing the gospel. Everyone is called to evangelize, but some have a special gift to do so. Shepherds are pastors, and teachers are those who nurture, defend, protect, guide, and instruct local church members. God gifts all of these leaders to equip God's people for the work of ministry or service that builds up the body of Christ. I mean, this is really remarkable if you think about it. His call for us to walk worthy of his calling is equipped not only with Christ's gifts of grace, but also with his gift of leaders that he has specifically gifted. Truly, Jesus is an exceedingly generous equipper of those who are in union with him. His unique, perfectly placed gifts of grace equip us to walk in a manner worthy of God's calling. This brings us to our second truth. A worthy walk requires union with Christ and his unique, perfectly placed gifts of grace. Which gift or gifts of grace has Christ given you? Are you using the gifts that God has given you to walk in a manner worthy of being called Christian? Paul David Tripp says that your life is much bigger than a good job and understanding spouse or non-delinquent kids. You are part of something immense, something that began before you were born and will continue after you die. God is rescuing fallen humanity transporting them into his kingdom and progressively changing them into his likeness. And he wants you to be part of it. Believer, God has called you to be a part of his eternal plan. Use every heartbeat to walk worthy of his calling. He equips you with unique and perfectly placed gifts of grace. Now the goal of a worthy walk is to become like Christ. The gifts for this worthy walk equip us to not only become like him but to build up his church. So finally we see that a worthy walk grows us together and grows us up. That's our third division grown by a worthy walk. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 13 through 16. God is always at work, weaving diverse peoples together until they reach his intended goal, a mature church, a fully mature church. In verse 13, it says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, when we link this verse together with verse 12, we learn that when God's people use their allotted number of heartbeats for the work of bodybuilding, body-unifying ministry... They grow into maturity. God calls believers to continually walk a worthy walk until unity is attained and maturity is achieved. 
This is a lifelong pursuit that is not and cannot be completed this side of heaven. I mean, this means that our work is never done. There's no retirement as a Christian. This maturity involves union with Christ. Paul says that we are to mature to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Christ's fullness, it expresses perfection, completion. The goal for every believer is to be like Christ, filled with those character traits that Paul listed in verse 2. And as individual Christians come together as one body, the whole body or the corporate church matures. Paul also notes that we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. The faith refers to the body of doctrine or what Christians believe. Knowledge of Christ, God's Son, involves knowing who Jesus is in our minds intellectually, and it involves our heart. That means that we are in intimate, intentional relationship with Jesus. Paul presses into the need for solid doctrine in verse 14, where he contrasts the maturity of manhood with the immaturity of children, saying, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Immature believers, they are tossed and carried about by the waves and winds of unstable doctrine, false teachings, false doctrines that teach that if you're simply good enough, you'll go to heaven or that everybody's going to go to heaven, or that all religions worship the same God, or that truth is relative, therefore the Bible's not necessarily true, at least not all of it. Like children, immature believers must be taught solid doctrine or teaching if they are to mature as believers. I mean, ladies, that's one reason we have a doctrine every single week in this Bible study. I want you to know solid doctrine. Tony Merida says that we enter the Christian life as babies. But we, we grow through the word and we become disciple-making teachers. That's your goal, to be a disciple-making teacher. A worthy walk of God's calling pursues maturity, individual maturity as well as corporate maturity in the body of Christ. In verses 15 through 16, Paul says that this maturity involves speaking the truth in love. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see, we work walk worthy of God's calling when we hold the truth of God's word in high esteem, yet we do so lovingly. The Greek wording here is truthing in love. 
Tony Meredith says that maturity involves a truth-telling, truth-maintaining, truth-doing love. Now in the last part of verse 16, Paul again uses the metaphor of a body to show how the church matures as every body part is joined and held together in union with Christ. He is the head of the body, the equipper of the body. As members of the body, we are dependent on the head. I mean, think about it. Without a head, the body does not function. Hearts cease to beat. And without all the other body parts, the body does not function as it should. It is handicapped. Growth is stunted. A worthy walk requires union with Christ as well as union with each other. That is how the body of Christ works, to grow together and to grow up. So our third truth is a worthy walk requires union with Christ as well as with one another to grow together and to grow up. In what ways are you working to unite and mature the body of Christ? Is your truth wrapped in love and your love wrapped in truth? Which body part are you? And how well is it functioning to build up Christ's beloved church? It is your high calling and holy privilege to be united not only to Jesus Christ, but to your fellow Christians to accomplish God's kingdom purposes. It is a gift of God's grace to grow into Christ and to use how he gifts you to be a vibrant part of his body. I mean, how are you using your finite number of heartbeats to walk in a manner worthy of this calling? A worthy walk requires union with Christ as well as with one another if we are to grow together and grow up. What are you doing with your allotted number of heartbeats? Is your Christian walk a worthy walk? God has called you, dear one, out of the dark and miry pit of sin into his marvelous light. He has given you a finite number of heartbeats for a purpose. Therefore, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of his calling. And you can only do that in intimate, intentional union with Christ. Spend much time with him in prayer and in his word, nurturing your love for him until your heart beats with the same passion for his church that his does. Commit every heartbeat to him. Then, when you close your eyes in this life and open them to the next, the finite will become infinite and your heart will eternally beat in perfect union with your beloved Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? O sovereign Lord, mighty creator and perfect equipper, we praise you and thank you for every heartbeat 
that you have so graciously given us. Now may you, the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip us with everything good that we might do your will as you work in us that which is pleasing in your sight through Jesus Christ, to whom whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.